Hearing, hearing, hearing. The United States Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit is now open according to law. God said the United States in this honorable court. Good morning. We have four appeals that are scheduled for oral argument this morning on the court's oral argument calendar. Judge Rosenbaum, Judge Hall, and I are ready to proceed with the arguments. Ms. Geddes is the courtroom deputy and she will serve as the timekeeper and she will let you know counsel when your time to argue has expired and she will also provide you with a two-minute warning before your time expires and so we are ready to proceed with the first argument the case is styled the united states of america versus larry messino and dixie messino Alicia Forbes is here for the United States. David McGee is here for the Messinas. And Ms. Forbes, are you ready to proceed with your argument? I am, Your Honor. You may. Good morning, Alicia Forbes appearing on behalf of the United States. When construed in the light most favorable to the government, the evidence at trial in this case was sufficient for a reasonable juror to find both defendants guilty beyond a reasonable doubt on all counts, including the guilty verdict on count one that was rendered by the jury, but acquitted by the district court. As to count one, which charged conspiracy to commit wire fraud, the government was required to prove that two or more persons agreed to commit an unlawful plan, that is wire fraud, and that the defendants, knowing the unlawful purpose of the plan, willfully joined in it. The evidence at trial showed that the defendants agreed to use fraudulent misrepresentations to illegally, illegally retain excess bingo profits owed to the charities as bargained for in their lease agreement contracts. The charity representatives testified that they were told by the defendants that under those contracts, they would be receiving a lawfully run bingo operation from which the charities would see, receive all bingo proceeds minus fees paid to the workers that were running the bingo games. And depending on the year, a $21,000 to $35,000 per week lease fee that would be paid back to Racetrack Bingo. The defendants assured the charities that the payments to their workers were allowed under the Florida bingo statute and that the rental fee was reasonable for the geographic area, again, as um, required by the Florida bingo, bingo statute. But both defendants made these representations to the charity representatives knowing that neither was true. Thus, the government proved in the light, in, when viewing the evidence in light most favorable to the government that the defendants conspired and intended to defraud the charities under those lease agreements by claiming that this business agreement was legal and permissible under the bingo statute. Ms. Um, Forbes, how were the charities harmed? Um, if, if, where's the evidence that the charities were harmed? Because our precedent in Takaloff requires that the government is required to prove more than just that there was an intent to deceive, that there was a conspiracy to um, uh, deceive the charities, but uh, conspiracy to harm the charities as well. So where would we find that? that evidence in the record? Um, that evidence is in the fact that the agreement between the charities and the defendants on behalf of Racetrack Bingo was that the charities were going to lawfully retain all bingo proceeds minus the lease fee 
and the pay and uh, payments that they had to make and the bills that they had to pay for bingo supplies. And the harm was that the defendants unlawfully retained excess bingo proceeds by intending to defraud the charities of those proceeds by making misrepresentations regarding the fact that the lease fee that they were charging was a lawful lease fee under the bingo statute, which the jury found it was not, and the government proved it was not um, because it was $21,000 a week um, for a warehouse in Fort, Walt, Fort Walton Beach that the government expert showed was uh, very high in excess of a market rate for a building of that size and the services that Racetrack Bingo was purporting to provide. Um, in addition, the defendants were, were retaining bingo proceeds that lawfully belonged to the charities under the agreement um, in the payments that they were paying to their employees, again, under the misrepresentation that those payments were lawful under the bingo statute. So, so the, the so harm the that the charities suffered. Well, they, they got what they bargained for with the Masinos, didn't they? I mean, they, they knew what was going on. And uh, they chose to participate in this um, scheme. And if they had not chosen to participate in it, they would have made no money. And instead, they made millions that they would not have otherwise made. So it's hard to, it seems like that's the reason that the court granted the uh, motion for judgment of acquittal because there was an absence of an agreement to intend to harm the charities. Well, I, respectfully, the government would disagree because again, what count one charged first of all was a conspiracy. Um, so the fact that um, the charities were not in fact defrauded is not only not an element of substantive wire fraud, but it's not an element of conspiracy to commit wire fraud. Um, the evidence that the court um, should be looking at is evidence of the defendant's intent to defraud the charities out of money that they believed that belonged to the charities. And that's where the intent to harm is. Uh, the question of whether there was actual harm um, is essentially irrelevant for a conspiracy charge, whether the charities were in fact actually harmed. I would note that the government maintains the position that the agreement between the charities could have otherwise been lawful under the bingo statute had racetrack bingo in fact um, done what it had promised which was only charge rent actual market rent for leasing of the space and they did not in fact pay their employees for the conduct of bingo um, although the district court disagreed with us um, the government believes that the evidence shows that nonetheless, it was clear that the defendants acted willfully in making their unlawful agreement. And that- I wanna, I wanna go back to uh, Judge Wilson's question about what they bargained for. As I understand it, what they bargained for was the profits after actual expenses. And what they got was profits after uh, inflated expenses, grossly inflated ex expenses that were not actual expenses. Is that, they, is that it, accurate? It's partially accurate. Uh, what they bargained for was a lawfully run bingo operation. And what the defendants in their- Well, well to have a lawfully run operation, you can only charge actual expenses on the rent. Correct, you can only charge a re, um, rent that is similar to 
similar premises in the locale and you can only pay for actual expenses out of the bingo proceeds. You cannot use bingo proceeds to um, pay profit. You cannot use bingo proceeds under the Florida statute to pay workers for the conduct of bingo. No person or organization can make that's a profit. What, that's what they bargained for and what did they actually get? What they what they got was um, an unlawful bingo operation. And so as a result of the defendants running the operation unlawfully, they did not in fact get what they bargained for because they did not in fact get all of the bingo proceeds from the bingo games conducted at Racetrack Bingo as bargained for. They, they, they entered into the contracts as a result of the defendants conspiracy and intent to defraud under they agreed to the lease fee under the misrepresentations that the defendants made that that lease fee was reasonable, that they were only paying actual expenses and that the, the payments that were also being taken off the top of bingo proceeds were lawful. So to the extent that the defendants um, argued and the district court agreed that they got exactly what they bargained for, uh, thank you, Ms. Geddes, um, they didn't, in fact, yes, they agreed to a specific lease amount, but again, it was, they only made that agreement based on the defendant's misrepresentations. And that's the intent to defraud and the intent to harm. What do you have to say about count two? They say they should have got judgment of acquittal on, the, uh, on count two because there was insufficient evidence that they willfully and knowingly violated the statute by having the non-charity members conduct bingo and retain the proceeds. As to count two, um, again, the evidence when viewed in the light most favorable to the government was sufficient for a reasonable juror to find the defendants owned and operated an illegal gambling business. Um, it, the best way to summarize it is to quote this court's prior ruling in the interlocutory appeal in this case, um, which said that a jury could find racetrack bingo was an illegal gambling business in violation of count two if the government proved beyond a reasonable doubt that, quote, Racetrack Bingo illegally allows charities to sponsor bingo games without their direct involvement, or that Racetrack Bingo forfeits its right to conduct bingo by not returning all of the proceeds from those games to the players. Um, as pointed out in the briefs, most of the elements of count two were uncontroverted, a lot of the jurisdictional arguments, um, but the element that your honor asked about and the defendants focused on was willfulness because we had to show that racetrack bingo was a law was a illegal violation of state law and the bingo statute in order to be a criminal gambling violation requires willfulness um, but i would submit that there was sufficient evidence that the defendants acted willfully and operated racetrack bingo as a willful violation of the bingo statute they had clear knowledge of the statute there were several emails admitted into evidence where they discussed the bingo statute together and with other people and they kept various copies of the statute text itself both at racetrack bingo and at their houses your time set has expired and judge rosenbaum is trying to get your attention oh yes i'm sure that 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 you were able to hear me uh, let me ask you how does um with respect to count one how does the florida statute in particular subsection three affect the analysis of it all. In, in other words, um, the district court concluded that under 2A, that applied only to if the charities were running the bingo operations, if I understand correctly. And so it appears that 
three, subsection three would be what would apply in this situation, which talks about all of the excess proceeds having to go to the players as opposed to the charities. So my question is, how does that affect the analysis? And is there some type of freestanding wire conspiracy to commit wire fraud claim outside of the statute that you're that, that is somehow suggested by your theory? Um, so the interplay between the two is that um, the government, again, our position remains that both subsection 2A, which is the um, section dealing with uh, charitable organizations and the conditions under which they can conduct bingo, and subsection 3, which is uh, the conditions under which any other organization um, can conduct bingo, um, are both at play under count two, but the district court, unfortunately, um, did a pre-verdict judgment of acquittal as to 2A, and so that's why uh, the government as to count two proceeded under subsection three only. How it interplays with count one is that, um, as I stated before, the government's position is that this agreement between the charities and Racetrack Bingo could have been, if construed correctly and the defendants had not misrepresented facts, could have been lawful under subsection 2A. However, the district court disagreed with us. And so that's why um, the wire count and the misrepresentations there um, in light of the jury's special verdict and the court's findings is sort of is isolated to misrepresentations with racetrack bingo's ability to, it, with respect to their misrepresentations about racetrack's ability to lawfully um, take those bingo proceeds versus the sufficiency of the evidence as to count two um, bears on the defendant's knowledge of the bingo statute that they could not retain profits, which is what subsection three says, that they can't retain profits, everything has to go back to the players. Um, and we believe that the evidence showed that. I just want to make sure I'm understanding you. Are you saying that count one, the conspiracy count, is based on this sort of freestanding wire fraud theory separate and apart from the statute? Not apart, no, not apart from the statute, no. Okay, so in order, so you would agree that in order to prevail on count one, we would have to agree that under the statute, the racetrack defendants would have to have um, were required under the statute, and I guess presumably under 2A, to provide excess proceeds to the charities as opposed to the players. Is that right? Um, I believe that under count one, I guess the answer is both, is that yes, that it is our position that the statute permitted that and that but for the defendant's misrepresentations, that is what should have gone to the charities. Um, however, regardless of that, um, the government believes there was sufficient evidence to show wire fraud even under the district court's construction of the statute, which, which is that that would not have been permit legal either. Um, and I guess that's, that was your question about it sort of being outside the bingo statute that yes, um, in that respect, based on the contract itself um, and the misrepresentations that induced the charities to enter that contract and the money that would have been owed to the charities had the contract been um, induced correctly. Um, in that respect, yes, under the district court's interpretation of the bingo statute, that would be a misrepresentation that 
for a, a contract that under the district court's belief would not have been legal anyway, which is why the charities weren't harmed. But regardless, it's still a contract entered in between parties. A fraudulent misrepresentation was made um, through the use of a wire and the defendants conspired and intended for that to happen. And that's why they're guilty of count one. Thank you, um, thank you Ms. Ford. Uh, Judge Hull, you had another question? Just one. I knew there was a post-verdict judgment of acquittal um, that, that government appeals. What is the pre-verdict judgment of acquittal and do you appeal that? We, we do not because uh, we, we don't have a authority to do that because the, the judge made that finding prior to the entry of the jury verdict. It was a partial grant of the okay. defendant's mid-trial motion so for judgment of acquittal. You don't have a right to appeal that. That's part. correct. That's, I'm just simply stating for the record, for whatever purposes, is that obviously the government still disagrees with that, but it is not part of our appeal or the defendant's cross appeal. Right. Right. The, gov the government couldn't appeal it because it's a verdict of acquittal before the jury. Okay, rule. Okay. And Ms. Forbes, you've uh, reserved some time for rebuttal, and we'll hear from Mr. McGee on behalf of the Messinas. Am I on? Thank you, Judge. Uh, for the record, I'm David L. McGee, the firm of Beggs and Lane. Uh, I represent Larry and Dixie Messino in this case, and I did so at trial. I want to begin with the argument concerning the Judge Rogers' dismissal of count one in the case. Um, we obviously agree with the judge's decision. It was pursuant to our motion. Uh, count one charged a conspiracy to commit wire fraud. Basically, the conspiracy, the allegation is that the Messinos conspired to defraud the charities by falsely telling them that their bingo parlor complied with the Florida bingo statute. Uh, and particularly with the provisions regarding paying people to conduct bingo and the rent being comparable to that charge for other similar premises, both, both of which are provisions within the statute. Um, the trial court dismissed the count. The government has contested that dismissal. We find multiple problems with the government's argument. The first begins with uh, what Judge Wilson was discussing. That is the tackle law requirement that there be an intent to harm. Um, a wire fraud conspiracy, there is no fraud unless there is an intent to harm. In this case, there, it, you cannot find an intent to harm. The charities in this case were never asked to pay any money at all. They, were, they came out of pocket, nothing. They were not asked to take any risk. Over the years that they were involved with Racetrack Bingo, and this starts in 1992, and the conspiracy in the, in the case only starts in 2006, but they, were, they had been going for a long time. They had been paid tens, ten, more than $10 million. If you look at uh, uh, the check, there's an exhibit in the, in the case. There's a check put on the wall by the charities in 2012 showing that the charities had received up to that point about $13.5 million. By the time this case gets filed, it's about $14.5 million. So you've got a case in which the charities took no risk at all. And how much, did your, how much did your clients receive? For the rental of the bit, it went around seven or eight million dollars they got for the rental. That's I can't give you the exact amount, but they did. Well, they, did ballpark they, they did receive exactly what the contract said, and it was a substantial. I'm not talking amount. about that. You're talking about bottom line numbers, which I don't know that all of this matters, but uh, your clients got about eight million dollars in revenue from renting that building at one to two thousand dollars a bingo session. Is that correct? 
And that's what the evidence shows. I can't tell you the exact number, but it is a substantial number. Yes, ma'am. Well, is it over seven million? I don't know. I don't know off the top of my head the exact figure. What I can tell you. Oh, come on. You know what the evidence was. I don't know exactly for exact figure ballpark. It's seven to nine million, six it, to it nine. It very well could have been in there. And, and I honestly don't remember the exact figure. I know it I'm was. I'm not asking for exact figure, sir. I'm asking uh, you going on about how much the charity's got. The question is how much your client's got the out of this plan. supposed charity of charity operated all for the charity bingo. How much did they get? They got over six million. Will you agree with that? Yes, ma'am, I would. Okay, thank you. And let me go back to the point. The, the charities lost nothing. They were paid well over $10 million over that period of time. The charities and judge, you, you raised a point earlier that they were, that they charge inflated expenses. Uh, I would point out that the jury acquitted uh, the Messinos on account of conspiring for, to charge inflated expenses. Um, let me go back to where I was in the argument. The charities lost nothing, took no risk, made a substantial amount of money. Second, so that is, that is suggestive, not a fraud. That is suggestive of maybe there's deceit, but there is no fraud. This had been going on at the time the charge conspiracy uh, began, 2006. They'd been doing this for, for well over a decade. The Messinos knew they were going to, that the charities were not going to lose any money, and they knew they were going to be paid handsomely for taking no effort at all, taking no risk at all, and putting up no money at all. So did these Messinos have an intent to harm? No, they had an intent to pay them a substantial amount of money. Truth, truth is that the Messinos made money too, but the condition of them making money is that the charities had to make money also. So, uh, let me ask you a question. Just put on, put on another hat for a moment. If you were the government and you, and I'm not talking about your clients, but let's just hypothetically talk about uh, individuals who overcharged on rent uh, and, pay, and charge for things that were not um, expenses that are covered under the statute, okay? Um, my question for you is, how could the government successfully charge them, provided that a jury found the correct facts, um, for violating the law? Or is it your position instead that there's no way that the government could criminally charge individuals who systematically cheated uh, charities out of the proceeds that they were entitled to under the statute? Well, first of all, I, I take issue with your, your suggestion that they systematically cheated them out of proceeds. But again, counsel, I'm not talking about your clients. We're talking hypothetically. I'm trying to understand whether your position is that this kind of conduct that we're talking about hypothetically could never be charged or whether it could be charged, but it was just done. In, this isn't the way you would do it. You would not do it in the way that the government did it in this case. First of all, you've got to have harm and you don't okay. have. A, so counsel, you know? how, how would you charge it? How could you charge that kind of conduct? We all agree that um, maybe you don't agree. Maybe your position is that it doesn't violate the law for individuals to inflate the rent so that they can get money that the charities otherwise should be getting under the statute. Again, not talking about your clients, I'm talking hypothetically. Well, first of all, the charities would not have been getting the money, okay? If in fact, if in well, fact- the My 
hypothetical assumes they would. In other words, um, if they had contracted correctly, right? If they had they contracted to get all of the monies that um, they were entitled to, I guess, under the statute or whatever, that were not inflated rent. In other words, they were paying only for the rent that was actual expenses. Then how, but instead they got much less than that. How would the government charge that criminally or is it your position that that's, that's not a crime? And either way is fine. I'm just trying to understand your position. Well, the, the position, if in fact there was a contract pursuant to which a valid contract pursuant to which the charities would have had a right to a substantial portion of the proceeds that that was not that they did not get, you could have charged it. That is not the circumstances in this case. Um, this is all based on an allegation that the Messinos misled the charities. Okay. And the argument is if they'd only told them the truth. That's that's one argument. And what they told them the truth, the charity said every one of them said, well, if we had known that what they were doing was violation of the law, we wouldn't have done this at all. There would have been no bingo. Okay, so there's no money exchange at that point. The second thing is count two, and this I think this is a, a, a question you ask of Ms. Forbes. Count the government's argument in count one is inconsistent with the government's argument in count two. Count one argues in, in count one they argue that the that the uh, charities had a right to the proceeds that were in fact being paid to the Messinos, some of those proceeds. But in count two, they argued that they violated, they argued to the jury and the jury convicted on the fact that they violated count three of the bingo statute. Well, count three, to, by arguing that they violated count three of the bingo statute, they are arguing that the charities are not entitled to any of the proceeds because count three of the bingo statute clearly says that a viol if you violate this provision, uh, the proceeds must be returned to the, the, the players, not to the charities. So count three, the argument that the government makes on count three is totally inconsistent with count one. Hey, counsel, uh, thank you. I, I appreciate the response. So let me just take you back. I just want to make sure I understand. Your position is that in the hypothetical I've discussed, the government could successfully charge and convict a defendant who um, who promised in a contract that the charities would receive all of the amounts over and above the actual rent expenses, but then inflated the rent expenses um, and provided the charities with less. I'm trying to understand your position. Is that what your position? Yeah, they did not. First of all, they did not inflate the rent expenses. The rent expenses. Right. I'm not asking you about your clients. I'm asking you a hypothetical. If they lied to them about what the rent expenses were, they could have charged it that way. That is not the facts of this case. Counsel, if that's the case, would that have been charged just as a straight up wire fraud conspiracy? Like, in other words, a contract where something was promised, but not delivered as a straight up wire fraud conspiracy? Yeah, and that gets to the, the essential problem with this case. Wire fraud requires that you take property or money from the victim that you are that you are not entitled to. That didn't happen in this case. It does happen in your hypothetical. You are saying that the, in that case that the charities are misled and uh, about what the what the rent is actually going to be, 
and that the people in, in your hypothetical collect that those proceeds that would have otherwise gone to the charities. In our case, though, that did not happen. There is there the the charities were first of all they were paid exactly what they were told they would be paid in the contract. The contract was accurate to that extent. The only problem in this case, uh, or the, the problem identified by the government in this case, is they say, well, they would have gotten more proceeds if the, if, if the Messinos had told them the truth, that they were doing this illegally. Well, the truth is that's absurd. If the, if the Messinos had told them they were doing it illegally, there'd have been no bingo at all. Nobody would have made any money. And the charities would have not made any money. Uh, and so, and this has been going on for years. So everybody knew exactly what was going on. I'm this, sorry, counsel. I'm a little confused. Why wouldn't there have been bingo if they had told them? I mean, let's say that they you're saying there wouldn't have been bingo because your clients wouldn't have done this for not for no no money at all. I guess is that what you're saying? I mean, well, I'm saying I'm saying that if they told them they were pay, they were paying people to conduct bingo, that's illegal. And the charities had said if they were told it was illegal, they wouldn't have done it. They wouldn't have signed on. There would be no contract. And without the charity, because you got to have a charity to do this kind of bingo, without a charity sponsor, there's no bingo. The, 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 if, if, in fact, the charities knew, knew the truth or acknowledged that they knew the truth, okay, because there's good evidence that they did know the truth. But if they acknowledged that they, that they or if they, if the charities, are told this is illegal, there's gonna be no bingo at all. There's no money for anybody. The charities don't lose any money in those circumstances. And but, but let, me, let me make sure I understand your position. If they're, they're told, I mean, there are two things that could happen. Either they're told the truth and then the charities can decide they're not gonna do it because it's illegal how they're doing it. Or they, do, they comply with the statute, right? But then they're not making any money. And why wouldn't the charities do it if it were still offered as an opportunity? Well, I'm sorry, I didn't miss the last line, Judge. Why wouldn't the charities what? Why wouldn't the charities do it if if they were if in fact they did comply, if in fact they didn't pay for the setup and the cleanup and all that kind of stuff? Um, if they did comply and they did comply with the, the rent and all of that. Why wouldn't the charities do it? I mean, it seems to me the charities would jump on that opportunity, but perhaps there wouldn't be a financial reason for the defendants yeah. to such a contract. Yeah, first of all, it's, it's speculative. What, what would happen if they were told the truth? Well, the answer to that is the charities said if they were told it was illegal, they would have done nothing. Well, what happens then? Then you spec you offer the speculation. What happens if the if the Messinos decide to run it according, according to law. Well, first of all, you don't know that anybody would have done it according to law. You don't know if any money would have been made according to law. And the government is, uh, speculates this in their, in, their, in their brief. And they say, well, what if they just decided to not pay the workers? Well, what would happen then? Nobody knows what would happen then. You can, you can, you, you can uh, extrapolate that it's likely that nobody would have worked if they weren't being paid, that there's likely that no money would have been made. But there really is no answer, no speculation, and no evidence whatsoever as to what would have happened in those circumstances. Can I what ask you about paying the workers? Your clients paid the workers, right? Yes, ma'am. And, and the and charity. So they knew the workers were being paid. Yes, they were not. They were not true, quote, volunteers, right? That certainly is the finding. Yes, ma'am. And, and 
the bingo statute requires that they be true volunteers. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. So it was an forget about the actual expense part. Okay. Why did not not alone make it a um, illegal bingo operation? The workers were getting paid. The statute forbid, uh, prohibits that because it's supposed to be to allow our charitable bingo. It's supposed to really be volunteers from the charities, and they're all doing it to help the charities. Yes, ma'am. Well, if it okay. is, if it is an illegal bingo, well. So it was an illegal bingo. The government proved it was an illegal bingo operation. What, they, what, they, what they proved so is can that. I stop that. Did the government prove, just forget about the actual expenses part versus real expenses, whether somebody would have done it or not done it. What we're dealing with is what happened here. And the workers were paid, and that was enough to make it an illegal under state law. I'm not saying the wire fraud. But the bingo statute forbids the paying of workers and it is against the law to pay the workers. And there so is, it, was illegal bingo. it was an illegal bingo operation on state law, no matter on that ground alone. Yeah, but the question then. And okay, so two, I, I'm it, just trying to cover that. Okay, yeah. and then we'll get to the and, federal question. And if it in fact is an illegal bingo operation under count two, then the charities would have gotten are entitled to no money at all under count one. Okay, because the statute says if it's an illegal bingo operation under count three, which is what you just posited, then the money must all be returned to the players and the money goes does not go to the charities. Okay, but okay. I will and, get back to count one, but if it's illegal, then it was illegal. And so that would support the verdict under count two. Well, the count two has an additional element and that is willfulness. And well, I, I don't think it's anything about yeah, I mean, that was a fact dish for the jury, the intent, whether they, I know he said he talked to Sheriff Cobb or whoever he talks to and he did this. That was purely a jury issue, the intent. Well, I would I would contend that particularly with regard to Dixie Messino, that there's no evidence at all that she knew that this was a violation of the law. Dixie Messino had comes into this uh, bingo parlor after a bitter divorce with Larry Messino. I'm not going to debate that. I think there's overwhelming evidence of everybody's intent here. Uh, more so than many criminal cases we have as to intent that is enough to go to the jury. Okay, so I, I think I understand count two. Let's go back to count one. So as to count one, um, your argument is that harm argument. It's a, and, it's a and who, who is Who has to have the harm? Is it the charities have to have the harm or the players have to have the The charity. Under the under the theory, under what Judge Rogers' narrow theory she submitted, she directed the verdict. The charities have to be harmed. They have to be harmed. They are the they are the alleged victim in the indictment, and 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 you have to have an intent to harm them. Okay. I know you contend, and I'm I'm not trying to dismiss that argument. I'm trying to understand it. So. What you say, there was no evidence that the defendants intended to harm the charities. So we're not talking about harming the players, we're harming the charities. Yes, ma'am. But if there was enough evidence that the defendants intended to harm the charities, there would be enough evidence for that.
count one. If, if the evidence correct? was that they intended to take money or property from the charities uh, by means of their deceit, right? which is that narrows it considerably. The government argued it has argued that uh, harm to reputation, for example, is a factor. Uh, the right. judge, Judge Rogers correctly well, dismissed what that. What you said helps me. Let's, let's go. I mean, I'll, I'll study the law. If there was enough evidence that there was intent to take property from the charities that has harmed them by fraud or deceit. Yes, ma'am. That's the elements of, of that a wire would be fraud. enough. Yes, that is okay. that is the elements of a wire fraud count. Okay, I don't understand why. It, it, there's several ways to take property from people. One is not pay them what they're owed, as well as go over there and physically steal the property. Why isn't they were not given the prop the charities? All they were owed. Why is that not enough? Well, they were paid. They were. Owed. They had a contract that said exactly what they were going to be paid, and Judge Rogers found them correctly, and the evidence supports that they were paid what they were owed. Okay. What What about the expenses for the volunteers? Was that part of the contract? I, I thought the contract just listed expenses relating to the it, rental of the building, and there was. It, Nothing in the con contract about paying volunteers, or maybe I'm wrong. No, it, they, 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 they do agree to pay, and the contract obligates them to pay the expenses. They agree. In fact, there's no, a report. No, but tell me about the word volunteers and the one running there. What, it, what does it say, as opposed to the cleanup guy or the, um, the people that are actually running the bingo, calling out the numbers and all, doing all that? They got paid, right? It says that it says that they're required to pay all the expenses incurred in the bingo, and they had one of their one of the people from the charity board, Tony Molini, went and observed the work. Everybody knew on the charities knew that they were paying okay, the work. Tony Molini specifically approved it. Said the workers did an excellent. The volunteers did an excellent I, job I, I, and I approved those payments. But the, the bingo charities didn't know the workers were being paid money though. Yes, they did. Uh, the Malini report says specifically he knows that both the workers and the managers are being paid. It's in the report. It's in a footnote in Judge Rogers' order. That's one of the things she, she talks about. And she cites the evidence in the case. If you look in the case, the testimony uh, of Tony Malini's report is very, very clear to the charities. He is a board member of the charities. He goes and watches. I mean, the whole thing is the charities knew what was going on. They went and watched the bingo. All right. Okay. They did reports on it. They had a they had a lawyer from a Yale graduate lawyer who advised them on the legality of what they were doing. The contract says that they are responsible for seeing that the games are legally run. Okay, you've answered my question. Thank Judge Wilson for the indulgence. All right. And Ms. Forbes, you've reserved some time for rebuttal. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, Ms. Forbes, is that true? Is there evidence in the record that the charities had uh, a lawyer uh, review the bingo operation uh, before they signed the lease with the uh, racetrack bingo and the lawyer reviewed it to make sure that the uh, charities were getting what they intended to receive as a result of this uh, uh, operation? 
the only evidence was that there was a lawyer present at a meeting after after the fact in like in a, in a 2015 meeting. So after they had been entering into these lease agreements with the Messinos for a number of years that um, and the board member that Mr. McGee was talking about, he, he was not an attorney. He was just, um, he had just written a report again in 2015 after the charities began to suspect that their, that their agreements were in fact not lawful. They started to inquire and look into the expenses, into the operations and started to, to dig deeper into the legality of the operation. But that only occurred after they had already been entering into lease agreements with Racetrack Bingo for a number of years. I would also note um, to Judge Hall's question that in the written lease agreements, it does not specify exactly how much the charities would be paying out of the bingo proceeds for expenses and supplies. It, it merely listed the lease amount fee per week that the charities were to pay for that for that year, and it varied between $21,000 a week and approximately $35,000 a week, depending on the year. But the uh, the oral agreement that Racetrack Bingo had with the charities was that they would be required off the, to have Racetrack Bingo take off the top those payments. So the charities were aware of the payments, but again, the conspiracy to commit wire fraud is predicated on the fact that the defendants were taking those payments off the top, telling the charities that it was legal to do that when it was in fact not because they knew they were just taking so, that money so, to pay people to, to conduct bingo. So the government argued to the jury that uh, with regard to uh, count two, that it was the charities who were the victims in the case who were harmed? Not with respect to count two based on the district judge's partial judgment of acquittal. So we were only permitted to argue to the jury no. under that theory for count one for the conspiracy and intent to defraud. So with regard to count one, the government argued to the jury that the charities were the victims of the conspiracy? Yes. yes. How were they the victims if, if the proceeds of an illegal operation should have gone to the players rather than the charities? And again, this is our disagreement with the district court is that in the end, because it turns out that racetrack bingo was running an illegal gambling operation and taking in profit when they shouldn't have the only way that they would have been legal under the district court's construction was for them to have returned all the proceeds to players. But and so it was an after the fact determination of who owned those proceeds. But if it was a legal bingo operation, wouldn't that proceeds Shouldn't they have gone to the players rather than the charities? They, they could have been legal in one of two ways is either they conducted Pingo with no charitable involvement at all and they gave all the proceeds back to the players or two under subsection 2A had they in fact entered into a lawful lease agreement where RBI was just a pure vendor. All they did was provide market rent, rent space and tables and chairs at a market rent um, sold them bingo supplies and helped them pay, helped them find volunteers to run bingo games, but did not pay those volunteers for the conduct of bingo, then all the proceeds made there would belong to the charities and lawfully should have gone to the charities. So those were the two ways that Racetrack Bingo could have lawfully conducted bingo. They did neither specifically for count two purposes, we proved that they did not um, they, did, they did, in fact, made profit, so they themselves were not a charitable organization, were not acting on behalf of a charitable organization, and therefore all the proceeds should have gone back to the players after the fact. 
In addition, I would note that um, just in closing, that Mr. the defense's argument that um, simply because the government proved materiality, which is that the charities would not have entered and continued in these contracts had they known that they were in fact unlawful, or at least that was the um, object of the conspiracy. Um, the fact that the contracts would never have existed if the charities knew everything for, to begin with doesn't defeat the fact that it was in fact fraud and an intent to defraud and an intent to harm. That would say that every case which charges fraud in the inducement um, means would it, there would be no intent to harm. So in an investment fraud case, uh, thank you, that fraud in the inducement could never be used as a predicate for wire fraud, which the case law doesn't show. All right, thank you, counsel. And that concludes our argument in this case.